This is Habwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Do higher state taxes equate to better services and increase resident satisfaction? A new report from Cato Institute entitled Fiscal Policy Report Card on America's Governors 2022 seeks to answer that question. In the biannual survey of state governors' leadership on tax policy across all 50 states, the data compares the revenue each state collects to the quality of services provided to see if a positive correlation exists between higher taxes and better services. Indeed, this question mirrors one Massachusetts voters must consider on November 8th with ballot question one, which imposes an income surtax on high earners with the promise that more revenue will equate to better public education and transportation. Were such higher state taxes correlated with higher resident satisfaction, the case for a tax increase would be on solid footing. If instead, states with higher tax rates compared less favorably and higher state tax rates offered no relative benefit. Indeed, if the strong net out migration from high tax states is taken to be a measure of resident dissatisfaction, then the argument for higher state tax rates loses its foundation. My guest today is Chris Edwards, the Kilts Family Chair in Fiscal Studies at Cato Institute and a top expert on federal and state tax and budget issues. Mr. Edwards is co-author of the Cato's State Governor's Report Card and has researched and written extensively on states' comparative fiscal health and performance. Chris will share with us the observations of his paper, including giving a report card grade to our outgoing Governor Baker and offer his insight into ways residents can vote to reshape their tax regime to deliver a more transparent and valuable state government that attracts new residents and cultivates a prosperous economy. When I return, I'll be joined by Cato Institute's Chris Edwards. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by economist and chair of fiscal studies at Cato Institute, Chris Edwards. Welcome to Hubwonk, Chris. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Joe. Okay, Chris, I'm excited about today's conversation about uh, your ratings of 50 state governors. But before we dive into our topic, uh, give our listeners a sense of how you became an expert in um, in state uh, fiscal policy, particularly in relative uh, uh, rankings of state fiscal policy. I actually started in uh, examining state and local budget policies 30 years ago at a, a tax foundation uh, in Washington, D.C. here. And then I spent a number of years at Price Waterhouse dealing with corporate tax issues. I went up to Capitol Hill, dealt with federal tax issues. And the last two decades have been at Cato dealing with federal, state, and local fiscal issues. So I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty well-rounded in dealing with tax and spending issues. Absolutely. You've earned your stripes. So I, I think our conversation is particularly um, uh, relevant uh, because we have a, a, an election coming up. So I, I enjoyed reading your recently uh, released uh, project about uh, rating uh, all 50 states or effectively all 50 governors. Uh, we here in Massachusetts so will soon uh, on election day, uh, less than a week after this will be released, we'll be choosing a new legislators, a new governor for sure. Uh, we also have a um, ballot measure, uh, question one, it's on the ballot, uh, asking voters to decide whether we'll have a surtax on, high, uh, on, on the income of high earners. Um, your, what I liked about your report is it reminds us here in the Bay State that we are not the only state in the union, but we rather we compete with other states for 
for the best and the brightest, uh, the, the people, the companies, the industries that, that make us prosperous, uh, your report does a good job of, of comparing them to each other. What was your goal in creating this report that, that rates all 50 states? Well, Canada's been doing uh, our report every two years for, for quite a while. We look at the tax and spending records of the nation's governors. Uh, you know, it, it has uh, struck me often that uh, governors and legislatures that spend a lot of money um, often get kudos from the mainstream media. And I thought, you know what, it's uh, it makes sense to actually give a pat on the back to governors who have tried their best to run a lean government, uh, to let uh, the citizens keep as much money, uh, keep as much of their own tax money as they can. So our, our report card, uh, it's based on sort of hard data, uh, but we give the highest grades to the governors who have restrained spending the most, uh, cut taxes, and it gives the lowest grades to the governors uh, who have increased taxes and spending uh, the most. And there is a pretty dramatic difference between the best governors uh, and the and the worst governors from our point of view in the nation. As they say, we're all uh, 50 laboratories of democracy uh, and uh, coming up with our policies that are our best for our populations. Um, but why? I mean, that's a fairly normative statement. Is there a uh, other than folks don't like taxes or some folks do like taxes and, and spending. Well, why do you see a benefit to a fiscal restraint uh, for an individual state? Uh, well, one thing that really strikes me in studying the 50 states is that there's no obvious advantage in having bigger government. Um, you know, if you take uh, the biggest government state, New York, uh, and you compare it to some of the smallest government states like Florida and uh, or South Dakota or New Hampshire, uh, New Yorkers pay a heck of a lot more in taxes, and they don't get better services. Um, it, it's hard to define the quality of services, but for example, um, you know, in New York, the tax burden as a share of income is twice as big as the tax burden as a share of income in Florida, um, which is is remarkable. Um, but if you look, for example, at the quality of K twelve schools. Uh, Florida schools on most of the state comparisons are actually better than New York schools. Um, if, you, if you look at the level of bureaucracy in New York versus Florida, um, you can go to the Census Bureau and you can see this information directly. Um, New York, for example, um, they have 31% more bureaucrats in their K-12 schools. They've got twice as many people uh, in solid waste or garbage collection as Florida. Their welfare bureaucracy has three times as many employees as Florida. Their highway system uh, in New York has twice as many employees as the highway system in Florida. Um, it's remarkable. So these differences are really big and dramatic. I mean, in my view, residents of states like New York, frankly, are being ripped off by their governments. And um, I really wish that more residents of New York would sort of awaken to the idea that they're paying a lot more and they're really not getting their value uh, for money uh, in terms of government services. So you, you gave us a lot to, to unpack there. So let's let's uh, uh, dilate a little bit and pull back. Uh, I liked a, a particularly provocative piece you wrote recently pointing out that actually, in fact, 11 of our 50 states don't even have income taxes at all. I think those of us here in Massachusetts assume it's, it's a, a, what the rate will be, not whether it will exist. Uh, share uh, with our listeners why uh, or how is it that 11 states somehow manage to not tax the income of their residents? So actually, there's nine states now that don't have individual income taxes. Uh, two of them are sort of exceptional states, Wyoming and Alaska, because they have a lot of uh, energy uh, industry 
uh, related revenues. So if you put that, that those two states aside, there are seven states, um, Florida, Texas, Wyoming, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, may have missed one or one or two there. Uh, they, they don't have individual income taxes uh, and their overall size of government is smaller than the other uh, 40 or so states. Uh, they run a leaner government. Uh, I, in studying those states and reading many news articles about the state budgeting in those states, uh, I do not find any kind of outcry for bigger government. Um, those states uh, run a leaner government. They, they generally have a very good school systems. They have good highway systems. Uh, they provide all the basic services that some of the bigger government states provide, but at a lower cost or more efficient. If you look, for example, at uh, there's been studies on how much it costs uh, each of the states to um, build a mile of uh, interstate highway. The, the differences between the states are pretty dramatic. So I think we can learn a lot by comparing the states and comparing the efficiency with which government works. So we uh, in that list of uh, no tax uh, states is one just to our north, uh, less than an hour drive from here in Boston, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, uh, Governor Sununu, I think, got an A on your on your report. How does a state with no income tax uh, pay its bills? It's as you say, it's it's leaner, it's meaner, but it, it must get money for uh, roads uh, somewhere. So how does a state with no income tax function? Uh, well, the, the states generally, and I looked at the data recently in a Cato article on this, the states that have no individual income taxes uh, do tend to have somewhat higher sales taxes and property taxes. Um, however, their overall size of government is lower. So it's a combination of some of the other uh, taxes are a little higher, but overall they run a leaner government. New Hampshire actually has uh, two substantial business taxes, which I don't think is a good idea, but that's how they partly uh, fund their government and they have substantial property taxes in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, uh, as your uh, uh, viewers in Massachusetts, I'm sure know, has a really uh, interesting uh, uh, state and local government, much different than, than other states where they have a very decentralized um, power in Massachusetts. The local governments have a lot more sort of fiscal uh, power than, than state level governments. And I think that's a good idea uh, as well. I think government closer to the people tends to work more efficiently. Citizens can keep better uh, tab on it. And one other thing I would say, uh, you know, generally about, I think uh, eliminating a major tax base like the individual income tax and relying on say just a general sales tax like uh, South Dakota does makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, the citizens being able to understand how much their government costs uh, and um, in, in, in understanding their relationship with the government. So if, if you don't have an individual income tax, but you save a, a statewide sales tax at, say, 7%, you know, the citizen knows that the state government costs about 7%. Um, and, and that's useful information. I, so uh, governments like to have as many complicated tax bases as they can um, to try to, you know, hit citizens from every side in terms of raising revenue. But from the citizens' perspective, that's not a good idea. From the citizens' perspective, you want the state government to have a, a single, simple, sort of flat rate tax that hits everyone equally. So there's sort of taxpayer solidarity. And so the citizens can understand the basic cost of government. Indeed. And if it's a sales tax, it's hitting you every time you make a purchase rather than on one day of the year, April 15th, when we all uh, uh, don't enjoy filling out our tax form. So 
I think that that would be fair. Um, I, just to put an even finer point on it, we're making generalizations about the states with no income tax in general. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Those states in general also have more lean, mean, efficient government. So it's it, there's a, a a direct correlation between a sales uh, uh, an income tax and the size of that state's government. Oh, oh, that's absolutely right. And and you know you raised um, you know the issue of Massachusetts, and you're you're facing this. Um, a referenda this or a ballot question this uh, November. One thing I would point out, if you look at the data on Massachusetts, Massachusetts is kind of an average size government compared to the other 50 states. It's certainly not one of the most lean, uh, lean governments, but it's also um, substantially smaller than, say, New York government. So you're kind of in the middle. Um, and yeah, even though the, the politics in Massachusetts have kind of trended uh, to the left to some extent over the decades, I, I think that Massachusetts um, flat rate um, individual income tax is one thing that has kind of helped uh, anchor the state and kept the government from becoming too big. You'll find states like California where they have these highly um, progressive graduated individual income taxes. They raise an enormous amount of money from the very highest group uh, of, of, of citizens. So in California, the top 1% pay 50% of all income taxes. I don't think that's a good. Uh, I don't think that's a good way to run your government. I think that the burden of state governments ought to be sort of fairly uh, shared and proportional across um, the citizens. Um, so uh, you know, having a flat rate tax, I think, uh, makes a lot of sense. If you have a highly proportional tax, I think a state like Massachusetts is going to scare away a lot of its high earning and more entrepreneurial residents, um, which ultimately hurts uh, everyone in the state. Um, and that's something you find in the data. And, you know, we can talk about that in terms of if you look at the interstate migration data, it is clear that, that uh, Americans and especially high income Americans are moving from the highest tax states, especially the ones that have high income tax rates, uh, to lower tax states and the states that don't have income taxes. That's pretty clear in the data. So that's a risk that Massachusetts would run if they raise their top income tax rate. So I want to get back to that theme, uh, this notion that states compete for uh, high income uh, or, let's say, uh, high tax paying uh, individuals. Um, in general, uh, you, again, you you do this report every two years. What have been the trends recently? Have have states in general been raising taxes or have states in general become lower taxes or, you know, again, to use a cliche, leaner and meaner? What, what, what have they been doing and why do you think they're doing what they're doing? So the general, the, you know, as the nation pulled out of uh, COVID uh, over two years ago, uh, now something really surprising happened, which was state budget surpluses started arising across the country. In the last two years, we've seen huge state budget uh, surpluses. Uh, that has led uh, about 20 states to enact major tax reforms to use the surpluses to take advantage of that and pass major income tax reforms, lowering income tax rates. So that's been the main trend. I think that's been a fantastic uh, trend. Um, so uh, uh, the smart governors and the smart legislatures, in my view, understand that there's states like Florida that are um, that that uh, are big draws for interstate migration, and they're responding to that in sensible ways by trying to make their state tax system more attractive. So that's been the main. A trend the last uh, couple decades. And in uh, our Cato uh, Governor's Report card, I look in detail at state uh, interstate migration data. The IRS actually tracks very closely 
Uh, every uh, where people uh, move to uh, every year, about three percent of U.S. households move to a different state every year. And if you look at the data in detail, it is clear that people are moving from the higher tax to lower tax states. So, for example, if you look at the 25 lowest tax states in the United States, 20 of them have net in migration. Of those nine uh, no income tax states we talked about, uh, eight of them have net in migration. Uh, if you look at the, the IRS data, breaks it down uh, people by income level. The highest income people are, are have an even stronger propensity to move to the lower tax states and out of the high tax states. So one, one data point on that, for example, uh, New York State has been draining, uh, draining residents to other states for decades now. New York loses two residents uh, in out-migration every year for each one resident moving into New York State. But the highest income group in New York, they are losing three residents for each one moving in. Uh, and the, you know, the biggest flow of people uh, in America is from New York uh, to Florida. Some people will, will say, you know, well, people are just moving south to places like Florida because it's warmer and sunnier. But actually, that, the, 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 the data shows that is clearly it isn't true either because New Hampshire has been a consistent and steady draw for in-migration over the decades. So has uh, South Dakota, which has no income tax and one of the lowest tax burdens in the country. South Dakota has been a consistent uh, in-migration draw, and yet nearly all of its neighbors, if you look on a map, have a consistent out-migration. So it is clear that, uh, uh, that uh, people uh, are moving to lower tax states. It's not the only reason why, uh, of course, why people move uh, to other states, but, it, but I think it is an important factor to consider. And I think especially, and a last point on this, especially for the cold northern states like Massachusetts, um, you know, Illinois that are that are losing residents, um, you've got to be extra, you've got to have an extra efficient and lean government if you want to retain your citizens in the cold northern states because there is this natural draw for people to move south. So states like New York and Massachusetts have to have better, more efficient governments than states like Florida if they wish to keep um, their citizens and especially their most productive and entrepreneurial uh, citizens if they want to uh, retain those citizens uh, and, and, and so that they don't uh, move out and move to some of the faster growing states. Is this an immediate effect? Meaning, uh, so we look at, let's say, uh, uh, state tax rates, they go up, they go down. Um, effectively, I'm assuming, although uh, I don't know, when states in these most recent times have generally trended towards reducing their tax rates, has it had the intended effect? And then the flip side is when, when certain states, let's say California uh, or uh, Connecticut or New York, when they do impose taxes on high earners, does it indeed uh, uh, encourage not just people to leave, but those high earners to leave, the people they're, they're trying to tax, uh, are they the ones who, who respond you know, most quickly? Or I guess you would call it elasticity of, of, uh, of, of uh, immigration. Well, you can approach this two ways. You can look at the data, and it seems to me just the raw, the raw data is pretty clear. But then the other thing that's obvious, if you, I've been following news stories on these issues for many years, and it is clear when you, you get a high earner, like Elon Musk, for example, recently moved, and, uh, and moved his company and moved his charitable activities from California to uh, Texas because he got you know sick and tired of the high taxes and regulations in California. Often, especially those high-earning entrepreneurs will say you know in public statements, 
you know, they got sick and tired of the high taxes in New York or uh, Illinois or, or wherever, and that's why they're moving to Florida. So often, you know, these anecdotes are, are pretty clear, and wealthy people in particular will often mention that this is a, a real factor. Uh, I think this is something that high-tax states and northern states need to really think about is when you lose, when high-tax states lose uh, someone who's very entrepreneurial like Elon Musk, uh, the states lose uh, that person's income, of course. They often lose the, 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 the person's business activities. Elon Musk is moving most of his operations to Texas. Uh, the stories on Elon Musk suggest that he's also moving his charitable activities uh, to Texas. So you'll find if you look at philanthropy data that wealthy people will often give a lot of money to to um, charitable activities within their state. So, you know, Phil Knight of Nike Shoe, for example, has given hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to charities within Oregon uh, over the last couple of decades. So when a wealthy person moves to a lower tax state, they'll often move a lot of their philanthropy activities to their new uh, home state. Uh, there's the issue of uh, venture capital and angel investment. Wealthy people are very important, not just because they start companies, because, but because they fund startup companies. And so the reason why you know, Silicon Valley is sort of a cluster, or one of the reasons, is because wealthy people like to uh, fund startups that are close to them in physical proximity so they can keep tabs on these entrepreneurs they're funding. And I've looked into this in a study uh, in detail at, at, at Cato. Um, so when a wealthy person moves from a state like New York to Florida, there, there's gonna be a tendency for them to start funding startup businesses in their new home home state. So, so the, the, uh, the bottom line here, I think, is that when, when, when high tax states scare out some of their high earning and productive citizens, they lose the income, they lose the entrepreneurial activities, they lose some of the philanthropic activities, and they lose some of the investment in startup businesses. So uh, states lose a lot when they lose high-earning citizens. So for our listeners who are uh, regard uh, high earners, perhaps they might think good riddance. I don't, I don't, I don't need a bunch of rich people here. Um, when we uh, we intentionally discourage them from staying. Uh, the, the danger is they take with them uh, everything that goes along with their their life, which is their charitable giving, their spending on all the services, but of course the jobs they may create, which may be uh, quite a few people who are are average income earners. Uh, that also goes as they migrate outward. That that that's exactly right. Um, that's exactly right. So I want to um, zoom in on. Uh, we have fifty states, but uh, our listeners. Most are uh, situated here in Massachusetts. I noticed, though, we have, uh, uh, I think, the most popular governor in the nation with Charlie Baker, uh, and he's a Republican. Um, uh, your rating system gave him merely a C. So uh, how do we reconcile a uh, average rating uh, with a popular uh, government? Is there a disconnect between your scoring and uh, voters' uh, satisfaction with with uh, their elected leader. So it's interesting, Joe. I, I actually looked at the popularity data and compared to the scores they got on the Cato Governor's Report Card. And I actually don't see too much of a correlation. Uh, you're right. I think the governor of Massachusetts has been one of the most popular in the nation in the last few years. But also Chris Sununo in next, in next door, uh, New Hampshire, who's been one of the most sort of libertarian small government uh, governors for uh, many years now, who scored at the top of the Cato report, he has also been one of the most popular governors uh, in the nation 
Um, I, I will say that I, I think at the far end of the spectrum, um, some of the governors who scored the worst, I mean, a good example uh, is the governor of Oregon. Um, uh, she, she has, uh, she's very, she's uh, generally has been one of the most unpopular governors in the nation. Um, she, she's pushed to raise taxes every year consistently. So I think if you have a governor uh, that, that consistently pushes to hike taxes uh, on on average uh, people year after year, you know, gas tax hikes and cigarette tax hikes and sales tax hikes, uh, they will be very unpopular. But I think governors like the governor of Massachusetts who are kind of, you know, they raise some taxes, they cut some other taxes. I think it's maybe harder for people um, to figure out um, to figure out, um, you know, what uh, what the sort of the bottom line is. And, you know, the governor of Maryland, um, uh, uh, Larry Hogan, is another interesting example. He's very much a centrist. Um, he's been one of the most popular governors uh, in the nation as a Republican in a Democratic state. Uh, he's vetoed tax hike after tax hike, which may have led to his, his popularity. But on the other hand, he spent a lot of money, um, which, you know, on my scoring wouldn't wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be great. But he has resisted hiking taxes. So it's a complicated it's a complicated stew here. And of course, taxes and spending are only part of the story about uh, governor popularity. So our popular uh, uh, Governor Baker is leaving office and we're going to get a new governor. Um, uh, I we as you, we've mentioned a couple of times here, we have a, um, a ballot initiative to uh, create a surtax on high earners. I'm assuming if that were to pass, Massachusetts would get even a lower score than a C in the future. Is that fair to assume? Well, what I the, the, the Cato report just looks at the last three years of a governor's uh, activity. So whoever the uh, this is if this is citizen initiative and Baker's not responsible, I guess that it wouldn't be in the Cato scoring. Uh, but, you know, th there are other reports, one by the Tax Foundation uh, that puts out a report every year on state business competitiveness you know, how good states are in attracting entrepreneurs and businesses. And I, I would note that on that uh, report, the Massachusetts actually does very poorly. I think uh, Massachusetts is about 38. And, you know, the thing about the individual income tax is most American businesses are actually not structured as corporations paying the corporate income tax. They're structured uh, as partnerships, sole proprietorships, uh, LLCs and S corporations that pay the individual income tax. So in Massachusetts, if it is to raise its top individual income tax, it actually is going to hit tens or hundreds of thousands of businesses in the state, which would be very bad for the economy. And there is no doubt. I mean, we talked about how responsive individuals are uh, moving from higher tax to lower tax states. There is no doubt that businesses um, do enormous amount of research and due diligence when they want to set up new factories and research facilities um, and they figuring out which state to um, to set up their new facilities. Um, I, I think uh, I think that there would be you raise the, the top individual income tax rate in Massachusetts. You know, young entrepreneurs I think would think twice about starting a business in the state. They can move uh, next door to New Hampshire and not pay an individual income tax. So uh, I, I, I think it. So the issue is not just sort of hitting rich people; it is hitting business activity. And, you know, you would risk driving business activity out of the state. Um, OK, well, uh, you know, again, I, I we've had other guests on the show who have uh, echoed your uh, your observation or your speculation that uh, it would it would have in the long run a really detrimental effect on the state where we do to pass such a tax. Um, but what would you say again? I, I can imagine some of our listeners uh, hearing this and saying, you know, higher taxes and spending 
is uh, bad, lower taxes and lower spending is good. What would you say to those who say this is just simply a race to the bottom? Meaning if we're all going to, if every state is going to compete against every other state uh, for a zero tax, a low cost, um, you know, won't our, our schools crumble and our bridges fall down? What would you say to those who say this is all just a, a formula for a race to the bottom? So the first thing, I, you know, I hope there is a race to the bottom in terms of income taxes. I don't think states need income taxes. And as we just discussed, there are nine states that uh, run their states quite well. Uh, some of the best run states in the country don't have income taxes. So I don't think you need any. I don't think state governments need income taxes. The way I think about it is, you know, the federal government has a very large income tax. The state governments, you know, can run their activities mainly with sales taxes. And then local governments can be funded mainly with property taxes. I actually think that would be a good uh, system. Citizens could, um, it would, they would better understand which which state, which levels of government are responsible for for which taxes. So I hope there is a race to the bottom in income taxes. Um, I don't see any, um, as we sort of touched on, I don't see any strong relationship between the quality of services and providing citizens the services they need and tax levels. Like I said, I think the states, the high, the very highest tax states like New York, I think the residents are being ripped off, frankly. Uh, they, they are not getting quality services. Uh, Cato does a, another report called Freedom in the 50 State, where we look at individual freedoms in terms of uh, economic freedom and social freedoms. New York is the least free state in the nation. Um, and it has a very high cost government. So New Yorkers are paying more and they're getting less freedom. Uh, I don't think that's a good deal at all. So I would be happy if there was a race to the bottom in terms of eliminating individual income taxes at the state level. Which would be good news for almost everyone except, let's say, uh, uh, current and uh, prospective uh, uh, bureaucrats. So we're getting close to the end of our time together. Uh, I'd like to ask always towards the end, um, sort of the king for the day kind of question. Now, I'll, I'll give you two ways to answer this. Either uh, if you were uh, the governor of the 51st state, let's call it Imaginaria, uh, and you are you have, let's say, broad legislative authority and influence, uh, what would your state policy look like as far as tax revenue goes? What, what rate would it be and how would it be collected? Or if instead you want to answer, which state do you think uh, most closely models uh, an ideal uh, level of government or governance, uh, which which governor do you think is doing it just about right? Yeah, I, th I think a, a couple of really good models are South Dakota and New Hampshire. You know, most of the revenue uh, comes from the sales tax. Uh, I love New Hampshire because of its decentralized governmental structure. The government is closer to the people. I think that the, the single uh, easiest and best reform for any state to make would be to repeal their corporate income tax. States absolutely do not need corporate income taxes. The corporate tax burden ultimately just lands on individuals in the form of a lower pay for workers or lower returns um, for shareholders or um, higher prices for consumers. So uh, corporate taxes are really just a shell covering up the cost of government that lands on individuals uh, and they're damaging. And as I, I mentioned, there is no doubt that businesses do enormous research uh, when they want to when they're opening new factories and facilities about where to locate. Uh, you know, states. Uh, uh, every citizen should want their state to be able to attract uh, businesses to create jobs and opportunity and income for individuals. I think corporate income taxes are really damaging, and actually, uh, they, they do a lot of damage, even though they hardly raise any money. 
state corporate income taxes only raise about 3% of state revenues, and yet they do all this damage. So I think that that is the number one reform, I think, for state governments would be to repeal their corporate income taxes. Wonderful. Well, you're singing our song here. Uh, I think, uh, again, we've made the point that uh, corporations don't pay taxes. Uh, uh, people do, either workers or right. consumers. So uh, it, it is an illusion to think we can collect from an imaginary legal construct. So uh, again, I appreciate you uh, pointing that out. Uh, well, Chris, this has been very informative. Where can our listeners find more about your writing, your research, or this very interesting report rating all of the governors to see where we f- where we fit and why? Well, I'm easy to find at uh, Cato.org, Cato Institute, or you can just Google my name, uh, Chris Edwards, and you'll find all my ri- all my recent writing on uh, state and local government fiscal policy. Thanks a lot for having me, Joe. Well, I enjoy it. Thank you very much for being on the show, Chris. This has been another episode of Hubwong, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support Hubwong and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwong on your iTunes podcatcher. If you'd like to help make it easier for others to find Hubwong, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you want to share Hubwong with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.